don't, you know what? Now let's sing it. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. He is the mighty King, Master of everything. His name is wonderful. standing. We appreciate your faithfulness in giving. And I just remind you again, as you give week by week, we're touching the world with the gospel. We're doing things to help people in many places around the world. And we're so grateful that God has allowed us to have the opportunity to do that. Our bell choir is going to be playing for us during the offering. Uh, They're going to be playing He is Exalted. And then after we have... um, uh, That special uh, offertory for special music today, they'll be playing Seek Ye First. We're looking forward to their ministry uh, as they minister to us today with those uh, handbells.
when the Russian comedian Yakov Smirnov immigrated to the United States, he said that the thing he loved most about America was the grocery stores. He said, I'll never forget walking down one of the aisles and seeing powdered milk. Just add water and you get milk. Right next to it was powdered orange juice. Just add water and you get orange juice. He said, then I saw baby powder and I thought to myself, what a country. <laughs> Some of you are going to take till this afternoon. You'll get that eventually. We laugh at that, but Abram and Sarai that we're studying right now, you may know them better by their later names, Abraham and Sarah. They would have loved to have gotten their hands on some of that kind of baby powder. Uh, They're struggling along. Uh, They're waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. Yet Sarai is still barren and uh, she's not getting any younger. Uh, At this point in our story, we're going to study today. uh, Abram is 85, Sarai is 75. Uh, God has promised that they're going to have uh, a great many descendants and and a great nation. And we find that in chapter 15, we looked at last week of Genesis chapter 15, uh, Abram's very honest with God. Let me refresh your memory. Abram says in Genesis 15, beginning at verse 2, But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. That is one of his servants. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then we come to chapter 16, where we are today. Still no child. It's been 10 years since God's original call to Abram to leave his family, to leave all that he knew and all that he had ever known to follow the Lord and still no child. You know, waiting is not easy. Anybody agree with that? Waiting is not easy. You may want to say, man, waiting's not easy. Don't you get sick of waiting sometimes? But, you know, waiting is necessary. Richard Hendricks wisely noted that second only to suffering, waiting may be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness, maturity and genuine spirituality most of us ever encounter. Yet those two we are not interested in, are we? We don't want to suffer and we don't want to wait. We don't want to wait. Is there not some kind of condensed version? Maybe some cliff notes, maybe a summary somewhere we can quickly peruse. We don't have time to wait. We don't want to wait. Rather than rather than travel God's appointed way, we look for a shortcut. We look for a detour. We forget what old Vance Habner once said. The detour is always worse than the main road. And so we go looking for it and end up in a mess. Abraham and Sarai are about to find out the detour is worse than the main road. But they're done waiting. In their mind, they've waited long enough. They're sick of waiting. They're not waiting anymore. God had made some promises to them. And they're going to help God fulfill his promise. They're going to take matters into their own hands. And by the way. I hope by now you know, if you take matters into your own hands, that equals one thing. It equals trouble. Big trouble. Now, as we look at the 16th chapter of Genesis, we find the story breaks down into two sections. 
In the first section, we find Abram and Sarai running ahead of God. They're running ahead of God. Look at chapter 16, begin reading at verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, see now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar. She conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. Verse 6 says, So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Let's be honest about it. This looks like a script from a primetime reality television show, doesn't it? I mean, think about what's going on here. But this is what's going on at this moment in Abram's home. I'm sorry if you came in today thinking that Abraham and Sarah were perfect people with no problems and no troubles. I hate to burst your bubble. They were real. They had problems. They had big problems. And uh, in many regards, their home life was becoming like a bad soap opera. You see, the biggest problem, beloved, was not Sarai's barrenness. That was not their big problem. God's going to take care of that. Their problem really were were, were of their own making. They decided to step out of the will of God, to step outside the word of God and take matters into their own hands and get the job done. Long story short, Sarai says, Abram. I cannot have kids. Please take my maid, Hagar, and have children for me by her. Now, this seems incredible, to say the least, to us. Perhaps her motives were right, but her method was terrible. But don't miss this. Don't miss this. In the time in which they lived, this was perfectly acceptable in their culture. This was done. But listen, just because something is widely accepted and widely practiced in our culture, even if it's legal, it doesn't make it right. Let me say that again. I want you to miss that. Just because something is widely accepted and practiced in our culture, even if it's legal, doesn't make it right. And there in that day in their culture, nobody hardly bat an eye at this, but it did not make it right. God did not condone what happened here. The key to all matters is this. What saith the Lord? You see, his intention for marriage was for one man and one woman. And that hasn't changed, by the way. That's still his intention for marriage. No matter what is widely practiced, no matter what is even legally passed in our own country, God's plan for marriage is still one man and one woman for a lifetime. Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Jesus said in Matthew 19.4 and 5, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and The two shall become one flesh. Sarai suggested something here she never should have suggested. She came and said, listen, I can't have children 
So you take my maid and we'll make her your wife and you can have children for me through her. Polygamy. Now we find in the Bible that's practice, but God never condoned it. And God never said, yes, this is the way I want it. But we find that they did it. We talked about it this morning in our brotherhood. We were studying the life of uh, some of the life of Solomon. And Solomon took this to an extreme where he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And he multiplied his wives and they turned his heart from the Lord. Sarai is Abram's wife. Abram loved Sarai. And she came with this counsel. And it's a good reminder to us. We must weigh all counsel. We must weigh all counsel, even if it's from a loved one against the word of God. Because sad to say, even loved ones, if we're not careful, can lead us astray. Listen, no one has permission. Listen, no one has permission and can give you permission to sin. No one can give you permission to sin. No one can say, oh, it's okay. You can sin. You can do wrong. Nobody has that authority. When Sarai came and said, Abram, here's what we're going to do. Why don't you take my maid, Hagar, marry her and have children by her? What Abram should have done is he should have said, no, Sarai, we can't do that. We will wait. We'll trust God. We'll pray. We'll walk in faith, not by sight. We're not going down that path. We're not taking matters in our own hands. But he didn't. It says he heeded her voice. He went along with her. And before long, they were planning a baby shower. Now, Abram was happy at first, I'm sure, but things quickly began to unravel in the home of Abram and Sarai and now Hagar. It seemed that Sarai blamed the Lord, if you look at it in all honesty, in verse number two, for her barrenness. She said, see, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. So she blames the Lord. And then she gets this plan together. And then she begins blaming Abraham when Hagar got pregnant. Look at verse five, if you would. Verse five says, if I can get my page turned. Verse five says, then Sarai said, Abram, my wrong be upon you. So she blames her husband, even though it was her idea in the first place. It seems, beloved, that Sarai may have been filled with anger and bitterness. In in this passage, she mistreats the Lord. She mistreats her husband and she mistreats her servant, her slave, her maid, Hagar. Now, Hagar began to despise her mistress, verse four says. And that was more than Sarai could take. Here's an interesting passage. You might want to jot down this reference. Proverbs 30, 21 through 23. Listen to what it says. Proverbs 30, 21 through 23. For three things, the earth is perturbed. Listen, for three things, the earth is perturbed. Yes, for four, it cannot bear up for a servant when he reigns, a fool when he's filled with food, a hateful woman when she is married. Listen to the last one. And a maidservant who succeeds her mistress. You see, Hagar has now done what Sarai could not do. And there she is. She is pregnant with Abram's child. Now, sad to say, beloved. Abram exercises no leadership whatsoever in Genesis chapter 16. He simply followed along with whatever Sarai wanted to do. He said, that's fine. In fact, she's so angry, she's upset. What does Abram do? Look at verse 6. Abram said to Sarai, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And what did Sarai do? She mistreated her so badly that Hagar ran away. She fled. 
You know, I was thinking about this. I was studying this past week. Having a child by Hagar was like striking a beehive. They all ended up stung and hurting. All of them. Now, I cannot help but think of the words of George MacDonald. George MacDonald once said this. And whatever man does without God, and whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. They succeeded more miserably here. The scene shifts radically in verse 7. We find that we're now with the pregnant and fleeing Hagar as she made her way to a spring of water in the wilderness. And we find here that while Abram and Sarai were guilty of running ahead of God, we find here that Hagar is running into God. Running into God. Look there at verse 7. The Bible says, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Now we find that as she's fleeing, she runs into God. She runs into the angel of the Lord, it says. Now many scholars believe that the angel of the Lord mentioned here is a theophany. Or a Christophany. That's a big fancy word which simply means an appearance of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. In other words, it may have very well been the fact that Hagar was talking to Jesus that day out in the wilderness. The angel of the Lord. And here we find a picture of the grace and mercy of God. Hagar's just a slave. That's all she is. She's been mistreated to say the least. She had no choice in the matter. I don't know what her thoughts were when Sarai came and said, here's what we're going to do. You're going to go in and you're going to become a wife to to my husband and you're going to to have a child for me. She has just been a pawn in the hands of of her master who used her and then cast her out in a sense because she was so badly mistreated. Now, Hagar was not perfect, say the least. But, but, but she was not to blame for all that happened here. And now she finds herself running away out in the wilderness, pregnant, alone, unborn child, thrust out in a sense. But where could she go? What would happen to her baby? So many questions in her mind. So few answers. She must have been scared. She, she's running from her problems. She's fleeing. But where can she go? Now, here she is. She's a pregnant Runaway slave, yet God saw her. God found her. God came to her. God loved her. Hallelujah. What a glorious, gracious God we have. He saw, he cared, he loved her. And he said to her, listen, Hagar, return. And then he told her about her future and about the future of her unborn child. Read it with me, would you? Chapter 16, verse 10. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Now, Ishmael, that the angel of the Lord told her about there, the name, you know what it means? It means God 
hears. Every time she called little Ishmael's name, she'd be reminded of her, of the fact that in her anguish, God heard her cry. God hears. And then it says that the angel of the Lord said, listen, Hagar, Ishmael's going to be a wild man. It's not going to be able to get along with others. And when you consider what the angel of the Lord said to Hagar over 4,000 years ago, and you look around our world today, if you're like me, you just sit there and say, wow. You see, Ishmael is the father of the Arabs. And when you look at the Middle East today, and you see all the fighting between the Jews and the Arabs, here's the very prophecy of it. The angel of the Lord said, listen, he's going to be a wild man. Unable to get along. And here we have 4,000 plus years later, the consequences of Abram and Sarai's sin are portrayed over and over and over again on the nightly newscast. We can see the result of running ahead of God. They stepped out of God's will and his word, and they've been reaping the consequences ever since. It reminds us, beloved, that our choices matter. So when you see on the news tonight and tomorrow night, and you see the fighting between uh, the Arab and the Jews, you know where it came from. You know where it originated. It originated because Abram and Sarai took matters into their own hands and said, listen, God's made promises. We're going to help you keep them. We're going to help him keep his promises. Listen, God doesn't need your help to keep his promises. Doesn't need my help to keep his promises. We're to trust God. God. Now, what would Hagar say? Now, imagine, put yourself in her sandals for a moment. Here you are, runaway slave, pregnant. Don't know where you're going. You're scared. You've just been mistreated in great ways. You're running away. And the Lord says, listen, you're going to have a son. You'll name him Ishmael. You're going to have a great multitude of people. He's going to be a wild boy. You wouldn't want him in your class, by the way. You're a school teacher. Don't want Ishmael. Time to retire. Ishmael's coming. Wild man. What did Hagar respond to the Lord? Genesis 16. Look at verse 13. Some of you are saying amen. I don't know what that was all about. But anyway, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. Listen, what's, look at what she calls God. This is Hagar, the slave. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore, the well was called Beer Lahiroi, observant between Kadesh and Bered. That day, Hagar learned two important things, and that's this that God is the God who hears, and God is a God who sees. He's a God who sees, hears, and cares. That's awesome, beloved. At that moment in her life where it seemed that nobody cared for her, she ran into God. God says, I hear, I see, I care. You might be here today and you think nobody cares for you. You think, well, well, maybe just one or two. Listen, I got good news for you. God cares for you. He loves you. Luke 12, verses 6 and 7 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, for you are more valued than many sparrows. He knows every hair on your head. Listen to what Psalm 33, 13 and 14 says. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. God sees. God hears. God knows. God cares. 
And we find out what happened in our story, Genesis 16, verses 15 and 16. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. God hears. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now, this is not the end of the story. We will see Hagar and Ishmael again later in our study, God willing. But I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about the lessons that we can take with us today from this story. And I want to give you just two closing thoughts. The first one, as I was studying, I ran across a Ray Pritchard. And the way he said it just, just, just captured my attention. This story reminds us, first of all, that detours do not mean dead ends. Detours do not mean dead ends. Now, Abram and Sarai got on a big time detour. They went away from God's word, away from God's will, took matters to their own hands. They got off track, but that wasn't the end of the story. And by the way, if you're here today and you've gotten off track with God, you've backslidden. Here, I got good news for you. Return. Repent. Come back to him. He's waiting. He's, he's waiting for you. With loving arms. He'll forgive. Detours do not mean that it's come back to the Lord. The second lesson is this. God's best is worth waiting for. God's best is worth waiting for. This is something we must be careful about in our lives. We look at this story and we sometimes think how in the world, but then we got to be very careful because if we take a moment, look at our own lives. We see that we're very well capable of doing the very same thing, running ahead of God, and maybe we've already chosen to do that. It's very easy to run ahead of God's timing and take matters into your own hands and try to force things to come about. You see, we got to wait on God. We've got to remember that if God is making us wait, he has a purpose for our waiting. God's timing is not like our timing. And so we've got to trust him. Reminds me of a 10 year old boy many years ago who walked up to the counter at a soda shop and climbed into a stool. He caught the eye of a waitress there and said, how much is an ice cream sundae? Fifty cents, the waitress replied. Well, the boy reached in his pocket and he pulled out a handful of change and he began counting. And the waitress frowned impatiently because she had other customers to wait on. Here's this boy. You can see him there counting out all his nickels and dimes. And, and the boy squinted up at the waitress and said, how much is a dish of plain ice cream? And the waitress sighed, rolled her eyes and said, 35 cents. Said it with a note of irritation. You know, she was she had stuff to do. And again, he goes back to counting his coins. And at last, he says, I'll have the plain ice cream, please. And he put a quarter and two nickels on the counter. The waitress took the coins, brought the ice cream and walked away. About ten minutes later, she returned and found the ice cream dish empty. The boy was gone. The stool was empty. She picked up the empty dish and... She swallowed hard with a lump in her throat. There on the counter next to the wet spot where the dish had been were two nickels and five pennies. You see, the boy had enough for the ice cream sundae. But he chose the plain dish of ice cream so he could leave a tip for the waitress. 
A lot of times, beloved, we're like that waitress. We say to God, would you hurry up? Would you answer my prayer? Would you act? Would you do something? And we get impatient. We say, God, would you hurry up so I can move on with my life? And God is thinking, child, you're waiting and I have something better in store. Trust me. Trust me. I have something better. You see, God has our best and his glory in view. So there's an issue in your life where you're waiting and you're wondering. And you're crying out, God, how long, how long, how long? Don't take matters in your own hands. Trust and wait. He has your best in mind. He has some lessons for you to learn. He's shaping you and molding you and maturing you and preparing you. And he's going to bring about his will in your life. Let me say to you today. Instead of running ahead of God. Instead of running away from your problems until you finally run into God. Why don't you come today and run to God? Run to him. You'll find him waiting and willing and longing to welcome you with loving arms. Wait upon the Lord. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads, please? Before we have our final prayer and our hymn of invitation, I wonder today, what has God the Holy Spirit said to your heart? Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Today's the day. Turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ and Christ alone. He will save you, redeem you, forgive you of your sin and give you a home in heaven. Make you a child of God, an heir and joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. Won't you come today and find forgiveness of sin and new life in Christ? Then there are those who are here today and say, you know what, preacher, I've got that settled. I know if I die today, I'd open my eyes in heaven. That's a glorious thing. Praise the Lord. But maybe if you're honest about it today, you're wanting to run ahead of God. Maybe you're running away from some problems and trying to take matters into your own hands. Maybe you're growing impatient. Maybe you're growing like Sarai, angry and bitter about some things. Can I give you some counsel today? Here it is. Run to God. Come cry out to him. So we remind you today, God hears, God sees, and God cares. You say, oh, he wouldn't care about me. Yeah, he did. Yes. He cared about a runaway pregnant slave named Hagar. I see you, Hagar. I hear you. I'm here. I care. He's here for you today, friend. So in this invitation time, I want to invite you to run to God. Cast those burdens, those cares on him. And say, God, I trust you. I await knowing you have my best and your glory and mine. Father, take now this time we're going to have in this invitation. Use it for your glory. Speak to hearts. Work in hearts. I pray now. Thank you that you're the God who sees, the God who hears, the God who loves, knows, and cares about us. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn.
280 this morning. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain. The altar is open. If you need to be saved today, just come and let me know that. I'll put you with someone who loves Jesus and we'll talk with you and show you from God's word the gospel. You want to come and pray today? Run to God. Give those cares to him. 280. Let's stand and sing. 280.